So I'm going to invite Jeremy up now. Uh, Jeremy's going to be reading Joshua 7. And for our visitors this morning, um, we've been following um, the book of Joshua. Um, so, uh, yeah, are you good on there? Uh-huh. But the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Kame, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now, Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon to the east of Bethel, and told them, go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. When they returned to Joshua, they said, not all the army will have to go up against Ai. Send two or three thousand men to take it, and do not weary the whole army, for only a few people live there. So about... 3,000 went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Pardon your servant, Lord. What can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this. And they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? The Lord said to Joshua, Stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Go, consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There are devoted things among you, Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove them. In the morning, present yourselves tribe by tribe. The tribe that the Lord chooses shall come forward clan by clan. The clan that the Lord chooses shall come forward family by family. And the family that the Lord chooses shall come forward man by man. Whoever is caught with the devoted things shall be destroyed by fire, along with all that belongs to him. He has violated the covenant of the Lord and has done an outrageous thing in Israel. Early the next morning, Joshua made Israel come forward by tribes, and Judah was chosen. 
the clans of Judah came forward, and the Zarahites were chosen. He made the clan of the Zarahites come forward by families, and Zimri was chosen. Joshua made his family come forward man by man, and Achan, son of Kami, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was chosen. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and honor him. Tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Achan replied, It is true. I, I, I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This, this, this is what I have done. When I, when I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Chaldea, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent. And there it was, hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. They took the things from the tent brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites and spread them out before the Lord. Then Joshua, together with all Israel, took Achan, son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, the gold bar, his sons and daughters, his cattle, donkeys and sheep, his tent and all that he had to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him, and after they had stoned the rest, they burned them. Over Achan they heaped up a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. Therefore that place has been called the Valley of Achor ever since. Thanks be to God. When I was in primary seven, I had a friendship with the two naughtiest boys in the class. These boys seemed to be able to do whatever they wanted. And that was really appealing to me. My mum and dad, they were strict. Well, my mum was stricter than my dad. <laughs> and I was a good wee church girl. You know, I went to Sunday school. I was in the girls' brigade. Things were expected of me. And I think I was uh, in primary seven starting to push against this image of the good girl. And a friendship with these two naughty boys felt like a freedom. It was really quite exciting. I, can, I actually can feel it. <laughs> <laughs> the wee 11-year-old Laura. <laughs> now, our friendship actually grew because my gran would take me and my brother um, to Albion Rovers matches, would you believe it, on a Saturday afternoon. And my two naughty friends, well, they would go too. And because I was there, they thought this was pretty cool, you know. But while we paid, my gran paid for us to get in, my two naughty friends would climb in over the wall. I should have seen that as a sign. <laughs> now, our class trip, on our class trip, we went to the Glasgow Garden Festival, if any of you remember that. And uh, 
we were given time off to go and explore it ourselves. Now, so instead of my usual friends, I went off exploring with my two naughty friends. And we had great fun. We really did. I can't quite remember it all, but I do remember there'd been lots of laughing and running around. And we went and we explored the shops. And after coming out of one of them, one of my naughty friends produced three pairs of sunglasses. Three pairs of sunglasses that he had stolen for us all, that he had shoplifted. Now, I should have said no. I should have said no, but I didn't. And all three of us paraded about all day about the Garden Festival in our stolen sunglasses. I should have learned from this, but I didn't. And a few times after school, I would go shopping with my two naughty friends. And it was really quite exciting. I would tell my gran that we went to the library. <laughs> but we didn't. We went shopping. Now, I will say, I never took anything. I never did any shoplifting. But I was party to what was going on. I still ate the sweeties that my friend swiped. I drank the ginger, yes. And uh, yes, I did. And I think it was maybe the third time, maybe the fourth time, a wee bit hazy. You know, we were getting a bit bold, you know, by this time. Uh, and one of my friends got caught in Woolworths. And this was, you know, this was near where I lived, you know, and I'm thinking, people know me here, I, I ran, I ran for it. I need to, I should have had the sunglasses then, right? <laughs> so me and my, my other friend, we managed to get away, but I was full of fear. You know, I was really worried. I thought, oh, my mum's going to find out about this. Somebody's going to tell her. And I was like, oh, for a good few days, I, I, I was living on the, on the edge, you know, Um and it was then I realised what my mum meant about um, whenever she would say to us, if you fly with the crows, you'll get shot with them. Now this, throughout my life, this has been one of my mum's favourite phrases. And I would be like, oh, oh, here we go again. But she'd say it, you know, to keep us on the straight and narrow. But yes, I realised then, if you fly with the crows, Laura, you're going to get shot with them. And because I was so worried about what my mum, you know, would say if I was found out, I thought, right, I will learn my lesson here. You know, I've been flying with a cross. You know, I've been flying too high. I'm not really a bad girl. I'm a good girl. You know, I might have enjoyed the danger, the excitement, but it's not me. I need to get out of this, you know. Uh, and even though I might not have physically shoplifted, I still was involved through association. I was guilty by association. And by how bad I felt, you know, that was punishment enough. Um, yeah. 
If you fly with the crows, you get shot with them. And this phrase applies to this week's passage. Joshua and Israel learn, if you fly with the crows, you get shot with them. Chapter 6 last week had ended with the fall of Jericho and the words, so the Lord was with Joshua and his fame spread throughout the land. So you would expect then that this story would continue with victory after victory. But that's not the case. Chapter 7, like, brings us down, oh, down to earth with a big shock. But the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. So this is not a good start to the chapter. This is not good for the Israelites. But the Israelites and Joshua, they don't have this information. You know, and I think after Jericho, you know, Joshua and the Israelites, you know, they're buzzing, aren't they? They're like, oh, yeah, what's the next thing we're going to do? Oh, yeah, we're invincible. They're feeling super confident. They are planning the next takeover. Notice, though, they're doing it on their own steam. They aren't following a direction or instructions from God. They aren't taking time to pray, to give thanks, to ask God what he requires of them next. They're overconfident. They're that confident that they think they'll easily take the town of Ai. That they're so confident that they only send 3,000 troops and from a military standpoint, this makes complete sense. AI's a tiny wee outpost compared to mighty Jericho. But the spies were acting as if they had conquered Jericho in their own steam, in their own strength. But Jericho fell because God was with Israel. God had went before them. Now they're leaving God out of the equation. It's as if they said, right, let's uh, send the reserve team up there because, you know, they didn't get much of a workout at Jericho. The reserve team can take care of AI. But this is a bad idea. They're humiliated in defeat. They're chased away and 36 Israelite men are killed. And all their bravado evaporates. And at this, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. And even Joshua seems at a loss. He tears off his clothes and prostrates himself in front of the Ark of the Covenant, in front of the presence of God. He's perplexed about what's happening. Yes, they've been overconfident. Yes, they've went ahead of themselves without prayer. But it seems that God has abandoned them. Why? God had given them victory at Jericho. And now he's completely abandoned them. And we can understand Joshua's confusion. His challenge to God. What then will you do for your own great name? And God answers by telling them the sobering truth. 
that they have disobeyed God, that they've disobeyed him. God has given them victory at Jericho, but everything and everyone at Jericho was to be given over and devoted to God. The Israelites hadn't to take any of the spoils of the war, none of the loot. All the Canaanites and all that was from the Canaanites had to be given over to the Lord. Nothing was to be kept. And God had a reason for that. He didn't want the pagan beliefs of the Canaanites or their immoral practices to pollute and contaminate the Israelites. In chapter 6, as we heard last week, God had told the Israelites to burn the city and kill the inhabitants, but no one was to take any of the plunder. They were to bring any precious metals to the treasury of the Lord. Everything must be burned. These instructions were key. And of the thousands of soldiers involved in the attack, only one man violated this order. Achan. Although Joshua wasn't aware of it, Achan's greed led to Israel's defeat at Ai. One man disobeyed, and that's why there was 36 funerals. One man disobeyed, and that's why the army was defeated. One man disobeyed, and that's why the nation was put to shame. And through the actions of one person, it is so easy to fall into collective sin. We just need to look at Germany in the 1930s and throughout the Second World War under the leadership of, of Hitler. And it doesn't need to be that extreme. You know, I've thought, what will the consequences be for our nation if we don't find a compassionate way of helping people who are seeking refuge and asylum? I've also wondered at times what will be the consequences for our nation after we pulled out of Afghanistan and left the people to the Taliban. What are the consequences for a nation <coughs> and for our nation if we don't help the most vulnerable within our society? And we just need to look at the parable of the sheep and the goats in Matthew 25, 31 to 46. When the the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him. He will sit in his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. And I was in prison, and you came to me. The people who 
who do that, who do all these things for the least in our society. They are the ones who will be blessed by the Lord. But those who don't, well, as it says in verse 46 of that chapter, they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. And I think when it comes to collective sin as well, non-participation doesn't save us. Now, I told you I didn't shoplift, but I had benefited from my friend's shoplifting. I was still involved. I knew about it, and I didn't try to stop my friends. And silence contributes as well to collective sin. If you don't speak out about it, you're letting it happen. We just need to look at the abuse that was happening within the church over the ages. The Roman Catholic Church is facing the consequences of the historical abuse that went unpunished for so long. Too many people knew about this abuse, but did nothing about it. It might just have been one man who disobeyed God, but we can understand why God is angry and why the perpetrator has to be rooted out and punished. Because it contaminates. It's contagious. In verse 12 to 13 of Joshua chapter 7, it says, I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Go consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourself in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. They are devoted things among you, Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove them. And Joshua and the Israelites do find out who is responsible. Achan and he and all his family are to be punished. Now I know that this outcome is uncomfortable for many of us. You know, I, I've wrestled with it. I've found it difficult. And Dale Ralph Davis says, I suppose many might believe this to be unfair. Naturally, we can complain, but we do better to fear. Because fear, because one man's sin turned away God's presence from a whole people. Fear because a man's household was drawn into a punishment. We Christians generally have such a tame view of sin. Wrongly, we have no paranoia over this contagious power. Even in the church, we take a tame view of sin. I was told at the start of my ministry training not to talk about sin. Because people don't like hearing about it in church. Well, perhaps the apparent absence of God's presence from various segments in the church may be because of our unwillingness to talk about sin, individual and corporate. Corporate as a church and as a nation. And because of our unwillingness to talk about it, to address it, we fail to purge it from our midst. We prefer the tolerance of men to the praise of God. Now, I'm not talking about sexual sin, which is the obsession of so many in the church. I'm thinking about individual and corporate sins against the most vulnerable 
in our society. The very people Jesus himself ministered to and asks us to minister to. But let me return to the Israelites and Achan. Achan admits what he's done. It is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. Consider the verbs he uses. I saw, I coveted, I took. And there's the natural progression. What the eye beholds, the heart covets, the hand takes. Achan admits it, what he does, but he still has to face his punishment. And it is a harsh punishment, especially for us today. And the punishment is so severe because the sin is so severe. Breaking God's covenant is a big deal. And Achan's family and livestock are punished with him because at that time, sacred and profane alike were regarded in a sense as contagious. Achan and those in immediate contact with him were viewed as contaminated. So strict and divisive measures were necessary as in dealing with a plague. One man's sin sinned, but it had consequences for the whole nation. But that's what it means to be part of God's family. When one person sins, we all suffer the consequences. We're never com- you, you, you never commit a private sin because there's no such thing. Every word, every deed, every thought... Can, can hurt or can raise up those around us. And that's Paul's whole point in the First Corinthians chapter 5 when he talks about the man who was sleeping with his father's wife. He tells the Corinthians to put the man out of the local assembly, not to bring the man to repentance, but also to purify, it, to protect the purity of the church. Sometimes we must do hard things for the sake of the body of Christ. If there is growing disease within a body, you can't ignore it or it will spread. And that's why Paul reminded them that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough. Sin spreads like yeast in a ball of dough. And if you leave it alone, it can permeate every part of the church or every part of the nation. But likewise, so too does goodness. That can spread too. One, you know, love and kindness can encourage others to love and kindness. Not just in church, but in families, in our communities, in our workplace, and within our nation. Love is contagious too. Kindness is contagious. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 
13, verse 13. Now these three things remain, faith, hope and love. But the greatest of these is love. We, too, we can look to Jesus and see that love. Because even when he was being crucified, when he was being mocked by all those around him, he acted with love, praying for their forgiveness. And in Jesus, we have the ultimate example of love. For in John 3, verse 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So thanks to the blood of Jesus given on that cross, we don't have to suffer the same fate of Achan. God doesn't want us to suffer the same fate as Achan. We are sinners, but thanks to the blood of Jesus, we are cleansed of our sins and we are reconciled to our Father God for eternity. And it was love for the Father and love for us that Jesus endured the cross. And love, friends, is contagious. That kind of love knows no bounds. It can spread and spread. So this week, friends, I encourage you to be that example of love. That love that gives hope. Now on Friday night, my wee grandson Alfie, he'd stayed for a sleepover. Now, Alfie has um, got autism, and sometimes it can be challenging. And I always try to be patient, you know, to create a space where you know, it's loving, where he can feel at ease with himself. And we had a really lovely time on Friday evening and Saturday morning. We really did. It was a time full of love and joy. And as we were driving home, I said, oh, thanks, Alfie, for such a lovely time. And he said, thank you, Granny Laura. It was you who made it special and fun. Love, friends, is always noticed. You might think it's just a wee thing, but love is always noticed. Love is powerful and love is contagious. Now, I spoke at the beginning about flying with the cross. But instead of being shot with the cross, let our love be like birds that flock together in the thousands. You see these murmurations, oh. These birds who flock together, who find safety and shelter together. Let our love be like the birds who soar together. Let our examples of love be contagious, encouraging others to their own examples of love and leading them too to our Lord Jesus, the ultimate example of love.